You are listening to the Bellator Christi podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristi.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Taking of the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics, while taking Christian truth into the arena of ideas, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast. This is uh, your host, yours truly, Brian Chilton, as we spend uh, a little time together talking about the issues that really matter. And we want to remind you that the Bellator Christie Podcast is a production of bellatorchristie.com. We do encourage you to go and check out the website. By doing so, you'll... Uh, uh, also, if you hit uh, <laughs> or click subscribe, not really hit, but click subscribe, uh, you will uh, be able to enter in your email address and you'll receive all of the articles and podcasts as they become available. And uh, that is, again, at uh, bellatorchristi.com, B-E-L-L-A-T-O-R-C-H-R-I-S-T-I.com. So we do encourage you to go uh, check it out. Uh, we're going to have uh, some guests uh, writers coming up here in a few weeks. Uh, Jason Klein, he is uh, actively working on some articles on the uh, issue of the Holy Spirit, so that should be great. We're looking forward to uh, seeing what God does with Jason uh, here on the here on the podcast and here on uh, the uh, website uh, as we read some of his articles coming up here in uh, hopefully the next few weeks. I do want to remind everybody that uh, just a little bit of um, housekeeping. Uh, I want to first of all remind everybody that coming up the first couple of weeks of July, uh, I will not be part of the commentary section of the podcast. We're going to have a couple of guest hosts. Uh, Jason Klein is, uh, has agreed to record a uh, podcast for us. We'll be airing that, hopefully, uh, one week. And then um, Shane Lacroix, uh, he, he has a podcast that he does. He's actually going to come on the podcast here in a few moments uh, discussing some of the um, uh, things that's been going on with this podcast. He hasn't had a lot of podcasts ongoing. We're going to try to find out a little bit more about uh, what he's doing and what's taking place with his podcast uh, here in just a few moments uh, as well. So, uh, But I want to let you know about some exciting news. Um, 
for the first time starting this starting June first, and so uh, which we pre-record the podcast. This would have been uh, just yesterday. I'm recording this on actually on uh, June second. Uh, it'll be uploaded this Sunday. Uh, which would be, uh, what, the 4th, June 4th, Pentecost Sunday, uh, by the way. And uh, so that's a very important Sunday. We don't talk a lot about Pentecost Sunday, uh, but this uh, this Sunday is the Sunday that uh, commemorates the time when the Holy Spirit came down upon the disciples as tongues of fire and uh, filled them ever since that point. This is a fulfillment of the prophecy in the book of Joel, where God promises to uh, rest His Spirit on all people. Uh, your old men shall dream. Shall have uh, your, your young men shall have visions. Your young your old men will dream dreams, and uh, everybody will have access to God's Spirit. And of course, He is referring to the Day of Pentecost. So this Sunday, uh, we commemorate the Day of Pentecost. But going back, uh, as this is coming out on Pentecost Sunday, starting June first. The Bellator Christie podcast is is now available on Google Play. And so you can go to Google Play. If you have a Google Play music app, you can go and type in the Bellator Christie podcast. And you can find, uh, should be able to find all of our podcasts as we have recorded them. You'll have uh, access to the the newest and latest podcasts as they become available. And so this podcast actually marks the first time, the first new podcast uh, that will officially air on Google Play. So now we are on four avenues in addition to the website. Uh, we are on uh, iTunes now. We're on uh, TuneIn Radio app. We're on Stitcher and now Google Play. And that is in addition to uh, access that you have on the website. So uh, this makes it a little bit easier if you're just interested in the podcast. We do hope that you'll go check out the articles at the website. But if you're interested in mainly the uh, recorded podcast, the audio files, this makes it easier for you. Uh, you can just go to, uh, again, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and now uh, Google Play and find the Bellator Christie podcast. So we are, uh, the podcast is well covered. And I have to say, and, I, and I'm, I'm looking for additional outlets to uh, to air the podcast. So again, four magnificent uh, podcatchers. I think I think that's what they call them, podcatchers. But uh, four magnificent ways to catch the podcast. Um, so we do encourage you to take use of that. If you use Google Play uh, uh, or or any of the other. Um, apps that we mentioned, we do encourage you to listen in to the Bellator Christie podcast and click subscribe. And uh, again, I, I say this, it's, it's very important. If you if you click subscribe, this will uh, allow us, uh, or allow you rather, instant access as soon as any of the, um, as soon as any of the uh, podcasts are become available, you'll have access to them. So I do encourage you to do that. If you're on iTunes, I also want to ask if you will uh, on, on any of these devices and you enjoy the podcast, pl- please go on there and consider leaving us a review. If you go on and you, especially on, on iTunes, and leave us a good review, five-star review, uh, this helps the exposure of the podcast. So if we can get a handful of people to be willing to go on there and uh, leave us a favorable review, uh, then, then that would actually help the podcast quite a bit. So 
So consider that. Also, I'm looking for individuals. If you have a podcast or if you have a business that's looking to advertise on this podcast, I'm willing to uh, take on uh, any advertisements that uh, that you may like to share to help the cost of this podcast. Uh, or if you'd like to have a donation to the podcast, we encourage you to consider that uh, as, as we are just simply here uh, to glorify God. So uh, speaking of which, we do have a couple of uh, commercials we want to get to to let you know about, important commercials coming up. And then uh, we're going to start a podcast. Uh, we're going to interview my friend Shane. We're going to ask about what's been going on in his podcast with his ministry. Um, and then we're going to get into the main topic today, which is on the mark of the beast. Is it 666-616? And what can we learn about this number from the variations that we find, the, the, the few variants we find in the number uh, in, the, in some early New Testament texts uh, as it pertains to the book of Revelation. So we'll be back in a few moments right after this brief commercial break. Are you looking for something that will train you in Christian apologetics but you don't have time to commit to a long-term program? Do you want to learn more about the philosophical, scientific, and historical reasons for the Christian faith? If you answered yes, then plan to attend the 25th National Conference on Christian Apologetics, entitled Defending a Faith That Thinks. It will be held October 13th and 14th at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, sponsored by Southern Evangelical Seminary. Among the speakers include Michael Brown, Norman Geisler, Gary Habermas, Ken Ham, Richard Howe, Greg Kokel, J.P. Moreland, SES President Richard Land, Jay Richards, Hugh Ross, Frank Turret, Jay Warner Wallace, and more than 30 additional speakers. Early bird pricing lasts until August 1st. For more information, go to conference.ses.edu. I plan to be at the 25th National Conference on Christian Apologetics. I hope to see you there. Once again, this is October 13th and 14th at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Go to conference.ses.edu. The National Conference on Christian Apologetics, defending the faith that thinks. was built on these simple principles. So was our university. Find your greatness at Liberty. Online or on campus, discover more at liberty.edu. It's the difference between a job and a career. Alright, we're back here at the Bellator Christie Podcast. We do take a new... Uh, Hope that you'll uh, check out both of the uh, the uh, <laughs> both Liberty University, which was uh, on the commercial there as well as the National Conference on Christian Apologetics. Uh, we do highly encourage you to go check out uh, conference.ses.edu. This conference uh, looks to be a fantastic one, and uh, so that once again that'll be October 13th and 14th. So we hope that you will be part of that conference as well so uh looking forward to that also uh, liberty university great school 
highly encourage you to go check out uh, Liberty University as well. Uh, so today, we we'll go, before we get into the podcast, the main thrust of our conversation on the Mark of the Beast, uh, the two different numbers that are found in early New Testament texts, uh, and and so we'll talk a little more about that. We'll talk about that in more detail uh, here in just a few moments. But before we do, we want to talk uh, to my friend Shane, and so we're going to bring him on next uh, to to discuss a little bit about his podcast, about what's going on, and so we'll do that here right now. So let's see if we can get a hold of him. So uh, let's see if we can get a hold of our friend Shane here. Uh, Shane, can you hear us? Coming in loud and clear, Professor. That sounds good. <laughs> the, old, the Professor term, that goes back to our fantasy football days. Uh, he, uh, Shane is known as the guru, and I am known as the professor. But uh, the guru, he had a lot better success than the professor did last time around. But as uh, he won the league even, so congratulations there. Looking forward to another great season coming up here uh, beginning thank in you, August. Thank you. Yeah, I'm going for the repeat this year. Going for the repeat. Going for the repeat. Um, well, Shane, tell us a little bit about your podcast. We, we don't have but a few minutes, and I know uh, you, you're very busy. You don't have but a few minutes yourself. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your podcast. I, I know you've been kind of on hiatus a little bit, uh, but uh, there's been a bit of a change going on in your podcast. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, first I want to talk about the hiatus that I had. I had some, a health issue where I got hurt at work, and had to take some time off with myself ill, but then my dad had gone to the hospital, so it was a second day situation. But this coming weekend, uh, June the 4th or 5th, the new podcast, the Team Liberty podcast will be backed out, and we are changing podcast hosts that I've been using. I've been using Lipstand, and it's a good podcast host for the people that are more te- technology advanced. So I switched over to Podcast Garden. And with that, the Team Liberty Podcast is actually getting ready, waiting approval to be put on iTunes and Google Play. Awesome. Awesome. So your podcast will be available on iTunes and Google Play, and that'll be coming up this weekend as you're on a new uh, new podcasting host, I guess you'd say, uh, Podcast Garden. Yes, that is correct. For our listeners who aren't very familiar with your uh, with your information, what you do, t- tell them just a, very briefly about what it is you do at Team Liberty. Okay, Team Liberty my website, of course, I am Shane LaCroix, and I cover politics from a Christian perspective, point of view. I found out over my time, there is a big niche for that with, lack of better terms, mainstream media, what I call the fake news media. First off, the news is twisted. So what I do, I cover with this politics from a Christian point of view, and break it down so it'll be easier for the masses to I hate to use the term comprehend because I've noticed in my time that mainstream media likes to use a big word that nobody knows what they mean so they can twist all the words. 
And so that's Team Liberty 1776. And so again, the the uh, podcast will be available starting this this weekend uh, at Podcast Garden, and you can you, you should be able to find that on iTunes as well as uh, Google Play. And Shane, we were just telling our listeners that uh, starting uh, actually starting yesterday, uh, the Bellator Christie podcast will be joining you on Google Play, and so we're we're going to be available on that uh, avenue, uh, that media as well. So uh, it looks like a really good, um, really good podcatcher uh, is Google Play. So uh, we do encourage everyone to go check out both the podcasts there at Google Play. Well, Shane, thank you so much for being with us today, and we wish you the best of luck uh, on your on your new adventure, on your new, the relaunch of the Bellator. Um, excuse me, <laughs> of uh, Team Liberty. And so uh, I've been saying Bellator Christie so much, it came out again. But uh, anyhow, we do. Yeah, we do wish you the best of luck, and we look forward to hearing what you have uh, coming up this weekend uh, with the relaunch of the podcast. Thank you so much, uh, Professor Brian Fielder. I mean, Pat Brian Fielder. <laughs> Thank you, brother. You have a wonderful day. You too, brother. All right, we want to talk about today uh, a, a very interesting issue. In fact, uh, I want to mention for a few moments uh, um, a... Uh, a conference that I had to I had a chance to uh, actually be a, a le- guest lecturer, and uh, that was at uh, the Defending Doctrine Apologetics Conference in Roundup, Montana. And boy, I tell you, I had a wonderful time uh, at that conference. Uh, we I had a chance to discuss uh, the issues of uh, historical reliability of the New Testament. And uh, there were a lot of interested people in this conversation, and I think that shows the importance of this topic when we talk about the historical reliability of the New Testament. Can we trust what we find in the New Testament? And this was an issue that actually led to my doubt, because there for a while, in the late 90s, early 2000s, I, I didn't think there were good reasons for believing the reliability of the New Testament. And unfortunately, uh, it, it seems like many people today are... are um, are, are wavering in this issue, and and I don't think that that's necessarily a good thing. We need to, to focus upon the um, focus on the reliability that we find in the New Testament, because because the New Testament is a historically reliable document. Now, the only time, the only reason, excuse me, that it's, it suffers the scrutiny that is often given to it or conferred upon it is because of the miraculous. And but that's that's taking a uh, a presupposition against the possibility of the miraculous. Uh, you know, in other words, if 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 for instance you didn't believe ants existed and you saw an ant hill, then then you would have to have to, you'd have, must come up with some reason or an explanation why those ant hills exist. Uh, you, you may say, well, maybe the ground moved and it just created these little deposits on the ground. Or, or maybe there was a large drop of rain that hit just right. Uh, maybe a rock fell from the sky and hit just right and made a hole and, and a mound of dirt around it. Of course, we know that's ridiculous. But it comes from a presupposition that ants don't exist. Well, the same holds true with miracles. If you think that miracles uh, can't happen, then you have to have or have to find a reason to explain 
the miracles in the Bible or to just to discount the Bible itself or the New Testament, that is. And I don't think that any, either answer is sufficient. I, I think the only answer that holds true is that the New Testament is historically reliable. But now there are, as we look back at the original manuscripts, I noted uh, at the conference that there are a few areas where there are differences among the earliest manuscripts. I mean, we can know what were in the original manuscripts, the autographs, as they're called, to a degree of certainty of 99.7%, which is absolutely phenomenal, folks. It, that 99.7%, that's the certainty we have in what the original authors wrote. But there are a few areas, uh, nothing of major theological value, and, but there are some areas that, are, that uh, hold some differences, and I'm going to talk about those perhaps in the upcoming weeks. Uh, we're going to talk about the longer ending of Mark. We're going to talk about the woman who's caught in adultery, and uh, I, I take the view that both of, those views, both of those passages should still be left in the Scriptures. And we may also talk about the passage of Scripture uh, in, in the first letter of John, where it talks about... Uh, the, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we'll talk a little bit about that. That's, to, to me, the least, um, I, I think that's the most doubtful of all the passages that we're talking about, uh, that where there are differences in the earliest manuscripts. But I come across one, and actually I, I came across this from a lecture uh, by given by Daniel Wallace, Dr. Daniel Wallace, and he was talking about the differences that we find in just a very few, a handful of early documents pertain, uh, pertaining the book of Revelation, or pertaining to the book of Revelation. Some early documents of the book of Revelation, uh, and particularly in, in the area that has been designated in modern Bibles as chapter 13, uh, verse 8. Now, uh, we're talking here about the mark of the beast. Okay, and so let me just give you some background. In chapter twelve, uh, chapter twelve is a very intriguing, um, very intri very intriguing chapter. Uh, here you see the woman uh, with child. Uh, there's a lot of controversy surrounding who that woman is, what she represents. Uh, we see the serpent representing Satan. Uh, the woman is persecuted. The child represents, obviously, Christ. Does the woman represent the church? Does the woman represent Mary? I'm inclined to believe that she represents the church, the people of God. But from here, you begin to see the persecution where the, where the, the dragon sets off to wage war against the rest of the woman's offspring, those who keep the commands of God and hold firmly to the testimony about Jesus. That we know is the church okay uh, the the beast from the sea we see coming forth in chapter 13 or actually chapter 2 verse 18 through chapter 13 verse 10 we see that this uh, this beast this dragon uh, most likely is representing the uh, Satan himself or or uh, Yes, yeah, Satan himself. So you see Satan, you see the unholy trinity of Satan, the false prophet, and uh, or Satan, excuse me, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, the unholy trinity. Okay, and you see that he has ten horns and seven heads. On his uh, horns were ten crowns, and on his heads were blasphemous names. 
Okay, Jesus is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Here we see he's called a, like a leopard or a panther, <coughs> so to speak. Uh, the dragon gave beast the beast its power. <clears throat> okay, so we see the beast, uh, which is the Antichrist, the dragon, which is the serpent. The dragon gives the power to the Antichrist. Okay, then in, ver in verse 11, they see another beast coming up out of the earth. This most likely is the Antichrist. Uh, it had two horns like a lamb, spoke like the dragon, is getting its power from the dragon, dragon being Satan, here is the Antichrist. It exercises all the authority on the first beast um, on its behalf and compels the earth and those who live on it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. Now, there's a fake miracle that takes place here. Uh, it also performs great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. It deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs that it was permitted to perform in the presence of the beast telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Uh, so he's so the dragon uh, is, he, he, or, or the, the beast, the Antichrist, it's almost like there's a fake resurrection. Jesus' resurrection was real, legitimate, and valid. This Antichrist uh, comes up with some type of fake miracle that he purports. Uh, and it makes everyone, verse 16, small and great, and poor, rich, uh, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, the beast's name or the number of its name. Okay, now here we here is where the rubber meets the road. Okay, in verse 18. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, because it is the number of a person. Its number is 666. Okay? Now, it's interesting that in some early manuscripts, the number is 616. So, Let's just do a little bit of background about what we see here. This is this is a practice actually known as gematria. Okay, so first and foremost, we have to understand that in Hebrew, Greek, and my understanding is also Latin has the same phenomenon that each letter holds a numerical value. Okay, so. In Greek and Hebrew, they did not have the Arabic numbers that we have now. Okay, they, Their letters served as their numbers. The first nine letters of the alphabet were the numbers, respectively, one through nine. After those numbers, uh, you saw increments of tens, tens going up to hundreds, and then the hundreds up to thousands. Okay? Um, and there were some extra figures that were added in the Greek language. I'm not sure about Hebrew, but I know there were some extra figures that were allotted in, in the Greek language uh, and Greek lettering that represented numbers that uh, the traditional letters of the alphabet did not cover. Okay, So, like alpha held the numerical value of 1. Beta held the alpha, uh, numerical value of 2. So if you put both together, if you put a, a, a name, let's say uh, you had the word ob, let's just say that was a word, uh, alpha and beta. 
okay, then that numeric, the numerical value of that word would be 3. 2 from the beta, 1 from the alpha, add those together, and you have 3. Now here's the interesting thing, and, and especially when we talk about You've probably heard things like the Bible codes and stuff like that. And I don't know, uh, Michael Bohm and I were talking about this on a previous podcast, about whether there's any legitimacy to it or not. But the, but the interesting, the intriguing thing about that is that there is a numerical code within the Old Testament and New Testament. Now, can you read into those numbers things that aren't there? Well, that's, well, <laughs> things that aren't there, that's assuming that there's nothing there. I do think you can find patterns in the Old Testament and New Testament, numerically speaking. But now, whether you can draw from that an intrinsic prophecy, that's, that's, up, to, that's up for debate. I, know, I really don't know. But it is interesting that when you, when you place the words together, you place names, you come up with a numerical value. The name of Jesus comes up to the, the numbers 888. Now, the number six represents imperfection. It's one number away from the number seven, which in Hebrew thought represents completion or, or perfection. The number eight represents a new beginning, a new life, even resurrection. Okay, uh, A new beginning, it, it represents a one numerical digit higher than the number seven. So it's like... Uh, that's the why. That's the reason why the resurrection took place on Sunday. Why God, in His infinite wisdom, allowed the resurrection of Christ to take place on a Sunday, because Sunday is the first day of the week, and that actually is uh, you have the seven days of Holy Week, and then you have the eighth day of the resurrection, starting a new era, and so that represents in itself. There's a sim- symbolism we find there in the literal historical resurrection of Jesus, pointing to a new life, a new day, a new era, a new way of living. Resurrection life, as we find in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, So, it's interesting now, the the number 666, they are all one digit under the perfect number of 777. Jesus' name, Yeshua, is one number higher than, on each digit, 888, one number higher than perfection. So it seems to be that the mark of the beast is relating to the imperfection of this Antichrist. In fact, the uh, new Christian Standard Bible study Bible that I picked up that is really, really good says this. says, No biblical number has received as much attention as 666. Much is, uh, ha- that is said about this mysterious number in popular literature is misleading. But reasonable explanations exist. One explanation applies geometria, and this is what we're talking about. Uh, this practice of representing words by numerical equivalence was found in extra-biblical religious uh, sources and was based upon the fact that Hebrew and Greek attached a numerical value to each alphabetical letter, as we mentioned. Thus, every word could be assigned a numerical value by summing the values of its letters. Uh, thus, the beast's name could be deduced from his number. Others believe that 666 is one example of John's normal figurative use of numbers, none of which were ever intended to be calculated. I don't buy into that because uh, the text itself says uh, it is a number of a person. Uh, calculate the number of the beast. This calls for wisdom, you see. Okay. Um, 
In this view, the number six uh, indicates incompleteness and serves as a contrastive counterpart to the occurrences of seven signifying completeness in the book of Revelation. The triple repetition of six would indicate the absolute sinful imperfection of the beast. Now that, I think, holds some merit. Uh, because we find that the uh, seven is the, is the number for perfection, that Jesus is beyond perfection. He is he is one number higher than the perfect number of seven seven seven. He represents a new day, a new beginning. The six 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 represents uh, the perfect incompletion or the perfect sinfulness. As Jesus was perfectly sinless, the uh, antichrist will be perfectly sinful. <laughs> So there won't be anything perfect in him outside of the fact that uh, he is perfect in his the um, the the uh, amount of sin that he <laughs> that he performs. He is going to be the ultimate sinner, okay, the antichrist. But now, what about the differences that we find in some manuscripts that list this as six one six? That's that poses a little bit of a problem if you only take the number being repetitive. Okay. Interestingly enough, as we noted earlier, that all numbers can hold a um, a, a a word equivalent, or, or even or even uh, l- l- let me let me back up and say this: you can hold a number or each name in Greek and Hebrew. Okay, if you if you even put your name in through the Greek language, your name would hold a numerical value. Every name, every word holds a numerical value. Okay, names, again, hold numerical value. So if you gave the number of a name, then that would represent the, the person which you're referring without explicitly saying who that person was. So very clever, very clever wordplay. Very clever. Uh, or, or I guess you could even say a geometric wordplay. Because you're drawing, you're referring to someone's name without calling the actual name. Okay. Now, interestingly, there is a name that both 666 and 616 reference. If you take the 666 in Greek and in Hebrew, it comes out to the name of Nero. Nero was a horrible horrible, horrible persecutor of the church back in the 60s. In fact, it was Nero who executed Paul, it said, by beheading and uh, and even crucified Peter by hanging him upside down on a cross. Peter said that he wasn't worthy to have been crucified in the same manner of Jesus, so he was crucified upside down. This man was so depraved, he dined by the firelight of Christians who were bur- being burned alive. This man was as depraved as you can imagine. I think it was Diocletian. Uh, I always get him wrong. I always get him mixed mixed up with Domitian. Uh, is it Diocletian or Domitian? Anyhow, there was another uh, emperor back in the uh, early 2nd century that would be a-, a horrible persecutor of Christians as well. But what we find in this... Interestingly, if you take the Latin counterpart to Nero and you plug his name in and, and through the gematria, the gematric uh, matrix, you come up with the number 616. So in Latin, the name for Nero 
comes up to the numerical value of 616. In Greek and Hebrew, the numerical value comes up to the number 666. So what does this tell us? So I think this that we can conclude from this that, he, that uh, John is referencing Nero. Okay, he's referencing Nero. However, there's something odd here. Okay, I think that we can conclusively say, or we can we can say with with high probability that uh, that John is referencing Nero or someone like Nero. Okay, but here's the problem: Revelation, most scholars hold, was written in the late '80s, maybe early '90s, as John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. How could he be referencing Nero when Nero died in the '60s? I can't remember. I think he was. Um, I think. Did he kill himself? I think he may have killed himself. I'll look into that and, and give you the definitive answer on next week's podcast. I don't have the materials with me right now to see. But um, but here's the intriguing thing. John is relating back to Nero after Nero has already died. So what is he saying? This is what I believe the the number of 666 or 616 tells us. Now let me first of all say this. I think the number 666 is the most valid number. Okay, I, the the vast majority of texts of early manuscripts hold the number to be six six six. Okay, the, the few aberrations we find six one six also plug into the same number, or, or plug into the same name is what I'm trying to say. Okay, using the geometric matrix, we we can plug that into the same name. But here's what I think John is really saying, and I think this is phenomenal. John is saying. That in the end time, and I am a futurist, let me say, I'm not a preterist, although I do think there are many things in the book of Revelation <clears throat> that uh, are speaking historically in their time. I think the, the book is written historically in their time, but it's taking a an apocalyptic, it's an apocalyptic literature, so it's looking to the future at things that are to come. So here's what John is doing. He looks, he's looking back at the past and seeing how horrible Nero was. John lost his good friend. Peter. John lost an, another great disciple of the, of the church, an apostle of the church, being Paul the apostle. These two men were, were executed by the Roman government at the, at the order of Nero. And so obviously, uh, as John's thinking about the life of his good friend Peter, he, you know, he, he, I'm sure, is frustrated and angered, and he's seen all these individuals that he's known and loved who were executed during the time of Nero. And what God is saying through John, I believe is this. I may be wrong, but I believe is this. I believe the Antichrist is going to, believe, to be a global, a global political power like Nero was. And this global political power is going to silence Christians, or attempt to silence Christians, and even make it where that you have to take this mark in order to be able to buy and sell. So what is this mark? I think this mark is an allegiance. An allegiance to a global power, a political force, a political person. I do think the Antichrist is a real person, not just a political power, perhaps a president, perhaps a prime minister, someone who is a global leader. 
Okay, someone who is a global leader, and this global leader actually persecutes Christians. He, he or she, for that matter, wants to silence Christians. They, they don't want Christianity to be vocalized. They don't want Christianity to be publicized. They want to silence Christians. And if Christians don't agree to take this allegiance to this political paradigm, this political force, this individual, then, then that person will not be able to buy and sell. Folks, that's not so far-fetched at all. As we see companies and businesses are being sued to do things against their religious convictions, as we are seeing individuals, as we are seeing increasingly shows like this, like this one, being silenced, and maybe not given the, um, the elevation on, on certain social media platforms because they don't cohere with a certain worldview. I mean, I'd, I'd even say 10 years ago, this would seem to be, this would, this would be something that I thought, could it really happen? Could this really happen? I remember even back in the 80s and 90s reading The Mark of the Beast and thinking, man, you know, we have the freedom to really kind of go out and do as we please right now. Could this really happen? We'll enter the 2000s and we begin to see the religious freedoms that we have enjoyed start to decline, enter the 20-teens, and we've really seen a, st- a sharp decline in religious freedoms. And I don't, I'm don't. i not saying whether you're, whether you're on one side of the camp or another. I'm just simply saying this is a reality. This is a reality. And where does this lead? Well, the book of Revelation, in my opinion, and in my interpretation of the mark of the beast, tells us that, that uh, things are not going to get better for the Christian. That's why post-millennialism makes absolutely no, no sense to me whatsoever. Uh, our millennialism, you know, I could see that might be a little workable, but really, historically, the, the church from the earliest time was really promoting what's known as premillennialism, that the world is going to get worse and worse. There's going to be a time of peace, yeah, but the world is going to get worse and worse, and especially if you're a faithful believer of Christ, and you really believe, actually believe, the words found in this scripture, the word found, words found between Genesis and Revelation, then you are going to be persecuted. And folks, as I look at social media and I see the derogatory comments that are made of individuals, I mean, I go back, I was looking at some videos just the other day of, of what people said when, when Jerry, Dr. Jerry Falwell passed away, whether you agreed with his politics or not. There were, Christopher Hitchens, who's, who's, who's gone now, he said some horrible things, horrible things about him. Who does this? Who does this? I mean, just it blows my mind. That someone would have that 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 amount of vitriol against another individual, that they would just celebrate a person's passing, is unbelievable. Especially a man. Well, not just him, but 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 I I see individuals this vitriolic, poisonous attitude is increasing along society. People becoming violent even in our nation of the United States of America, this is happening. And it seems like Christians have become the target in many areas across the world. So is this a far-fetched idea that John has? 
Not at all. In fact, I believe it's part of the vision that John had. But don't be overcome by this this statement. But don't be overcome. Understand that the very end of Revelation gives us a completely different picture. Christ is going to return. He's going to resurrect his church. He's going to establish, set his foot back on this earth and establish his kingdom for a millennium. And he is going to lead us into an eternity of peace and, and, and prosperity, of, of joy and love and compassion and the things that really matter, the things that are really going to make eternity great. God is going to come back on the scene, folks. And you know what? In the end, we find the mark of the beast. It loses. In the end, God wins. You, you hear people say love wins. Well, love does win because God wins. Jesus wins. Christianity will reign supreme because of the risen Jesus when he returns to this earth is going to make change everything. Everything will change when he returns. And folks, that's something to celebrate. Well, you've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. This is Pastor Brian Chilton saying God bless and we'll see you back next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristie.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie Podcast is a production of bellatorchristie.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Michaela Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristie.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas.